right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got Chris Frosters, play-by-play host, roast reporter. He does it all, Big Ten, ESPN, everything. You see him everywhere. He's actually he's hosting the TBT basketball tournament in the, in the early July. Chris, how's everything going? It's going great. Really excited to be a part of the basketball tournament 2020. It's my third year covering it, and it was a lot of fun hosting the selection show back in earlier in June, and, and now as July 4th approaches and we're ready for some actual basketball games, it's going to be a lot of fun to commentate on that. Are you, are you going to be there or, 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 or remotely? Well, we're in, you know, this new coronavirus world, and so the tournament itself will be taking place at Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio, and it'll be a fanless event, a spectator-less event, and the broadcast will actually be taking place out of a remote studio in Indianapolis. So we won't be on site, but it's actually a trend that has been going on in the broadcast world for a while anyway, even independent of the pandemic. You're seeing a lot more broadcasts held or produced from a remote location. So maybe the pandemic is accelerating those trends. So it's certainly unique to the situation, but not necessarily extraordinary. Absolutely. And then, so did, did you have any doubts that maybe they were going to have to kind of maneuver this around with the pandemic going on this year? Or do you like the, the, how the way they've been going about it? Well, I, I think that the tournament has done a great job. I mean, the, the founder, John Mugar, and he's got a great support staff as well. They've been doing this for seven years yeah. now, so they know what they're doing. But I still think it would have been really easy for this tournament to just not have happened and and for TBT to say, hey, given everything that's going on in the world, we're going to take a year off and come back next year. And if you look at all of the other sports organizations that have struggled to come back from this, you certainly begin to appreciate just how logistically challenging it is to organize sports on any level or on any platform. So I really commend TBT for finding a way to make this work given the world circumstances that we're in right now. And yes, it's a smaller tournament field. Last year, there were 64 teams in the competition. This year, they're just taking 24. The prize money has gone down a little bit as well. But I think that from a societal perspective, it's going to be such a a boost, such a positive injection into the veins of sports fans to have some competitive basketball back for the first time since March. To, to be able to watch a live sporting event going on in the country I'm in, not past midnight is going to be a spectacle I haven't seen in a long time. It, it'll kind of have a feel to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, when, when we announced the bracket, we were telling fans, hey, look, here's your chance to fill out a, a basketball bracket that you, had, you didn't have the opportunity to do in March. And if you look at July 4th, the, the TV schedule on ESPN, I mean, the games start at three o'clock Eastern and they Perfect. pretty much go for the rest of the day. So it'll be a wall to wall marathon of sorts. I keep saying that I still have a perfect bracket from the March because I never lost <laughs> That's the right. game. That's right, you do. Yeah, we, all, we all do, but I'm still waiting on Warren Buffett's phone call. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but no, no but I, can't, I can't wait. Like it's going to be incredible. So have you been like immersing yourself because I knew there's 24 teams. You probably, in past years, you probably had to kind of study up on a lot more guys, but now have you been able to kind of hone in? Okay, these are the kind of the main guys I'm looking at that are going to be the main contributors. Definitely. And and you're starting to see, again, with this being year seven of the tournament, you're starting to see a lot of familiar teams that come back year in and year out and they get better too. They add talent to their rosters year in and year out. So there's definitely that rollover institutional type knowledge that that you can kind of take into this as well. But 
it's it's certainly good. You know, you have to dive deep into this because you have a lot of players who compete in this that are overseas professionals, and so they're not necessarily names that you see in the mainstream sports media a lot because they're playing across the ocean. But you also have some college alumni teams, whether it be from Syracuse or Ohio State or West Virginia, Purdue, Illinois, whatever, uh, that have some recognizable names for college basketball fans who have been watching maybe for the past 10, 15 years in particular. You have some recent grads or at least, you know, not old timers necessarily that that are coming back and wearing their college uniforms or an approximation of them again. And, And so there's a nice balance of names that you're familiar with, but you also have to certainly expand your horizons and you learn a lot more about the international game just by researching the players who are playing in TVT. And speaking of recent grads, I saw that Joe Johnson's playing. Yes. Yes. That, and, and he, he, it's interesting. The team that he's going to be playing on is called overseas elite. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and, they're phenomenal. Cause that's the one I, that's the one I always remember every year. Cause they're always in like the final. They're a juggernaut. They've won the tournament four out of the first six years and so it'll be really interesting to see how he slots in. I mean, look, I'm sure that the three-point shot is still there, but is he going to defend? Because, you know, it, it certainly – look, we're not going to fool around and say, oh, this is NBA caliber yeah. defense. But, look, you got to check guys in this tournament. I mean, it's certainly that competitive. Yeah. And, look, he, he comes from playing half-court three-on-three last year. So, you know, probably he's going to feel like a much bigger court. Yeah. What's his conditioning going to be like? Yeah. So. But that, that's certainly been one of the flashball big name ads that, that are actually going to be playing in this tournament. But, you know, Chris Paul has, has got a team that he sponsors. Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather has got a team that he's sponsoring this year. DeMarcus Cousins has sponsored a team in the past. So every year you see more and more big names in the basketball world kind of get in on this thing, and it's pretty cool. My, my pre-tournament, all-tournament starting five is – Aaron Kraft, um, Joe Johnson, Tony Roten, Mike Dom, and Kennedy Meek. So keep an eye out. That's a great starting five. And I mean, and that's a good blend from, from all kinds of different teams that are in the field as well. So, and I think that's good for fans who are maybe new to TBT, maybe looking for something to watch. I mean, you're, you're going to recognize a lot of names in this, and you're going to be really impressed and excited by how competitive these games are. Absolutely. And I also think with the void of the NBA Summer League, this is a kind of a very similar situation. It's a guy of guys maybe you haven't heard of or guys or some of the names you haven't heard in a while, and you kind of see what they put together. And if, and if they put together just a spectacular outing, maybe they have a shot at maybe rejoining or trying to go back into a, a larger league. I, I think absolutely right. And, and the NBA is going to be watching this as well because, look, the NBA isn't going to start until at the end of July. And with the drafts, you know, you're, you're seeing some recent graduates, even some 2020 college graduates that are competing in this tournament and hoping to improve their draft stock. And I think also for the guys, and this has always been the case with TBT, for the guys that play overseas, this is a great audition to give to NBA teams. And especially with, with health conditions the way they are right now and sort of the uncertainty around this pandemic, you could see a lot more players who usually go overseas to play maybe this upcoming season elect to stay in the United States and take that two-way or that G League contract. They'll be, in a lot of cases, receiving less money, but you're closer to home and, and perhaps you're in more control of your health situation. So 
this will be a chance for a lot of guys who've been playing overseas for many years to perhaps get back on the radar of some NBA teams. Matt Moody or Matt Moody or Joe Johnson puts up a fantastic performance and the NBA expands their rosters. The, the schedules don't conflict. So no doubt, no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, definitely. So can you explain, explain to the people that haven't watched before the, the different tile of um, how, how it's, officiated because I know with the Elon ending it's very kind of a little bit differently in May but it's not too hard to comprehend. Sure so I mean the big difference to keep in mind is that they play the game according to FIBA rules or international rules instead of NBA rules and so the really the like the big difference to keep in mind is that you can you can play the ball off the rim and so you know for a missed free throw for instance you can come in and, you know, tip slam it essentially as it comes off the rim. You don't have to catch, reset, and yeah. then go up again. So the big kicker, though, or what really makes TBT unique is, as you mentioned, how the games end. And the way they end is called the Elam ending, which is named after Nick Elam, who's, who's kind of like a – he's a Mensa member. He's a polymath. He's, he's worked in a lot of different career paths. But he sent a blind email – three or four years ago to the TBT organization committee and said, look, I've DVR'd two seasons worth of NBA basketball games. And he essentially realized how inefficient the end of games are in terms of the foul fest that tends to take place. And so he proposed instead of the conventional way to end games by simply following the game clock, he proposed a method where midway through the fourth quarter of a game, you actually turn off the game clock entirely. You still play with a shot clock, of course, but you turn off the game clock entirely and you set a target score. And so instead of playing until there are three zeros left on the clock, you play until one team reaches the target score. Interesting. And so the target score is set by adding eight points to the leading team's score. So say you get halfway through the, fir- of the fourth quarter and the score is 74 to 70. So the leading team has 74 points. The target score then is plus eight of that, so 82. And so the first team to score 82 points wins games. And sort of the thinking behind that is that you never have an anticlimactic way to end the game because the game is always going to end on a made shot. Now, sometimes it ends on a made free throw, but it's always going to end on a made shot. And and for those who watched and remember the – NBA All-Star yeah, game back in February. Yeah. They debuted that at the All-Star game, and it was crazy. It was, it was nuts because you had, in that case, you had the 10 most competitive, most athletic, and best basketball players, best IQ basketball players in the game on the floor at the same time. And it was, you know, they, they were playing to a target score, and so you couldn't get into a foul fest or anything like that, no matter how many charges Kyle Lowry tried to take. But uh, it was a really competitive way to end the game, and you could just see the the intensity get ratcheted up in those closing moments. And you and you kind of just lost track of time because be yeah. like, you literally you can't leave. You gotta watch. And then Anthony Davis wins it on a free throw. So, <laughs> but in home of Chicago, that's how you kind of want to cement your legacy. That's so, true. That's true. Good point. No, but for for some of the so there's a lot of marquee names, a lot of big name teams, a lot of guys you've seen before that have been NBA journeymen or playing overseas or big name players. I know I saw uh, Devin Oliver from Dayton, who's a big name player a couple years ago, uh, went on a deep run. Who are some of the kind of less heralded guys that you've been kind of noticing saying, okay, this guy's going to make some noise? Well, so if you look at kind of the history of, of TBT, 
especially in the first few years of this tournament, one of the reasons why it became popular and sort of became endearing to basketball fans is that anybody could join this tournament. And, and that still is the case. Now, this year, 120 teams approximately applied to get into the tournament field. They only took 24. So it's not like everybody gets in because that's how popular this has, begotten, uh, has become, I should say. But you still have these teams that, that compete that are, are literally the entire roster you haven't heard of anybody. And, and maybe the most prolific player only played Division Two or, or Juco basketball. So you kind of have a street ball feel a little bit to this, to this tournament, kind of a grassroots style of play where these teams sometimes come together through local gyms or local pickup leagues. And so it, it it's, makes for an interesting contrast when you see some of these teams compete. And I think in particular of the, of the 24th seed in the tournament, uh, the, so the last team to get in the Jackson, Tennessee underdogs. I mean, it, it's, it's a team that's got guys who work as insurance agents for State Farm. You know, there are some guys who, who drive truck on this team, but they've been in the tournament almost since the beginning, and they play really, really well together because they know each other so well. And they, sure enough, got to the Elite Eight in this tournament last year, and so they're being brought back this year. And, and the, guy, you know, the players you, you likely have never heard of, but that's kind of the one of the cool natures of, of TBT is that you get teams like that who can sometimes catch these loaded rosters by surprise because when you stitch together these proverbial all-star teams, they don't necessarily have a lot of time to work on their chemistry or gel before they actually take the floor for meaningful games. And remember, it's single elimination. So one loss and, and you're done. And there's, def- there's, there's another – playground dynamic to that as well where if if you lose there's always somebody waiting to take your place on the court so you better win to earn your share of court time and so yeah you know there are some teams like that in the field too that are really really easy underdogs and darlings to kind of root for and speaking of the team from Jackson, Tennessee, if any chance they need a backup center who's six four, I kind of see myself like a Chuck Hayes. Remember Chuck Hayes from Houston? One of the I, if they need me, I'd be interested. So just keep that in mind. Anybody on that? Yeah, but I can and I can also help with your insurance if you if you needed that. That's good, man. Hey, plug plug for yourself. Yeah, and you absolutely. should you should get a team together next year. Hopefully, the yeah. pool will be bigger next year. You should put yeah. together a team. Yeah, and then you can just I can lose in the first round and just watch the whole tournament. So <laughs> you probably don't have to pay for if you if they lose, can they stick around and watch, or do they kind of trying to get people out of that? I think this year in particular, there will definitely be yeah. uh, you know some some urgency to to move teams out of off site once once they do in fact lose or are eliminated. Uh, and and you know I I think that will be in the best interest of everybody involved yeah. because teams have to arrive in Columbus five days before the tournament even begins and they'll be subject to some pretty rigorous quarantining and testing measures as well. So again, you know, I, I give the tournament a lot of credit yeah. for being able to set this up and uh, create an environment that's as safe as possible given the current conditions. And they've got all their I's dotted and T's crossed. In the event that somebody does test positive, what are the precautions they're going to take? So there are two standby teams that are, on the bench, so to speak. Yeah. And if a team gets to Columbus and fails a test, then there will 
be one of these standby teams called in and, and just inserted into the oh, cool. slot vacated. So there, you know, and there are so many complications. You could go on and on about this, but, but basically if, if you test positive in Columbus in the five days leading up to the tournament, you know, your team will be disqualified, but there are also, you know, once the tournament starts, that kind of sets up an entire different set of possible scenarios. Yeah. And, it, and if one guy tests positive versus two, three, four, five, um, so that, you know, once the tournament starts, if a guy tests positive for COVID-19, it's not necessarily going to be an automatic disqualification of his team from the tournament, but there are lots of different contingency plans in place. And then what, how large are the rosters in case let's say one guy does test positive and they got to sub somebody out? Sure. You, the, the rosters are capped, I believe at 11. And, and okay, so some so. teams, and, and, and the rosters are very fluid. So some teams right now have more than 11 on their roster and they're doing that intentionally yeah. because some guys might drop out or decide they don't want to do it. So at some point though, 11 is the number that you have to get down to. And then what is this, do you know what the situation is like for the guys there? Like while, when they're not playing, like what kind of stuff, because I know NBA, they've got all the stuff going on in Orlando. They got trails and they got lawn games. They have lawn games. Or... I don't, I don't think it will quite be up to the Disney world standard down in Orlando, but I know that one of the reasons why Columbus was chosen as the host site this year is because the hotel where the players are staying, the arena where they're playing, and then a series of practice courts as well are all within a three block radius. So everything is super close. Um, you know, there, there'll be, I think like a two day period, the first two days, the teams are actually in Columbus. They won't be able to practice or even get together with sense. coaches or anything like that. So they will be totally isolated. And I think once they emerge from that, I'm not sure what kind of autonomy teams will be given to pursue any kind of activity outside of just practicing. Yeah. But it's also not quite as long of a duration as, as the NBA as well. So it's more of a sprint as opposed to a marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. And are most of the guys, do you know if they've been practicing together for the past, for the past few weeks or are they all going to be dispersing from different locations? Well, it's, it's hard. And it, it, it's, and that's one of the really interesting dynamics yeah. about the tournament this year is that, whether or not teams are able to get together at all, yeah. they certainly won't be able to get together as much as they would be in a, in a non-pandemic year. So I know some teams like Bayheim's Army are still meeting at a central location. So Bayheim's Army will get together in Syracuse, New yeah. York for a couple of days, hold a couple of practices, and then travel for the most part together yeah. to Columbus. But a lot of other teams are, are just going to show up from different locations, meet in Columbus, and then hopefully have – enough time in those really three practice days before the first games begin to iron out their chemistry and, and kind of get their, their sea legs back too. Yeah. It's been interesting talking to players who are planning to compete in this and just simply following TBT's Twitter feed. There are a lot of home workouts going on and have yeah. been, I mean, guys, I, I think Mike Dom, for instance, he was stuck overseas in Spain when all of this started to break out. And he was stuck in Spain for, I think, a month and a half before he was able to come back to the United States. So he was basically just running up the stairs in his apartment complex, running up and down stairs as, as a way to stay in shape. So 
it's kind of an any means necessary approach that a lot of guys are taking. And I think it's also an advantage to the teams that have been in this tournament before, like overseas elite teams that have had the chance to develop their on-court chemistry already and can probably get back to that point faster than some of the other teams who are new or maybe have more new players on the roster this year. Can you imagine running up a, a flight of stairs in Madrid and all of a sudden you see the Dominator just going back and forth? That'd be incredible. It'd be yeah, absolutely- I mean, I heard he had a good year or so, and I, I hear the fans are pretty rabid over there, so I think he definitely started to make a name for himself in Spain. Because he didn't get many minutes in Summer League, and I was very disappointed to hear that. Because I'm like, this guy was electric during the tournament. Did they, they, I think they lost Ohio State, which is kind of maybe he's got some animosity towards the city of Columbus. Maybe he could put some more on for him. But so it, it'd be interesting. But I, I'm, it's going to be exciting. Is there a team, an underdog team specific that you think, okay, these guys, we kind of maybe slept on them in, this, in the rank, in the seating? Yes. Uh, I think so. Again, it's a 24-team field, and the first eight seeds get a bye. Interesting. And I think, really, any one of those eight teams that are going to get a bye are good enough on paper to win this thing. Now, again, some of the things that we just talked about with teams not having a lot of time to practice together before the games actually begin could actually favor a team that has a first-round game wins – and then has some momentum and some rhythm on its side as they go into a, a matchup against a team that hasn't played yet. So, I.e., the Tennessee Titans did it pretty well this past uh, fall. That's a great point. And I, I think you're definitely going to see some teams in the top eight go down in that second round simply because they don't have their chemistry to the level of a team that's already won a game in this tournament. But if you're looking at a, at a lower-seeded team that looks like it, it's got – some pieces in place. The 11 seed team Hines uh, is composing a pretty good roster. Now they were a final four team last year, only named the 11 seed this year. Uh, Let's see. They got Nick Calathis, Ethan Happ, Ethan Happ, as long as hopefully he's improved his free throws a little bit, but no doubt. (laughs) Now Calathis is not going to play. Oh, no, he's not. He's not going to play. So that's a, that's definitely a, a dent in their prospects for sure. But they've got Brandon Paul, who had a really good year at um, – at Il- or a really good career, I should say, at Illinois. So they've, they've definitely got some pieces there. They've got Marcus Denman, who Mizzou fans will certainly remember from his uh, very illustrious career at Missouri. So they've got some pieces there that I think could definitely, uh, you know, contribute to a, to a run that might be – longer than an 11 seed would indicate. And then are the, are the rosters for the guys' names that are submitted, are they locked in place? Like guys can back out, but are guys, if, if the guy last minute says, oh, I'll join your team, is that is that not allowed? No, it, and so rosters are very, very fluid up until essentially tip-off. Really? And Yeah, I, and, and you've seen that too. And, and one team in particular to keep an eye on is um, – is Team ALS, Team Challenge ALS. You know, they, you, could, you could see them possibly add a, a few guys late, late in this process. Uh, and, and in years past, too, Jimmer Ferdet has um, competed. He's actually had a team that he has entered in the tournament called Team Fredette. Oh, cool. And the, uh, it, sometimes it's come down to the day of the, the, day of the tournament. Will, will he show up and, and play? And – this year, it's kind of the same story with the money team, uh, Floyd Mayweather's team. They're hoping that because 
the money team got a first-round buy, that that will buy Jimmer enough time to actually decide that he wants to, to give this another shot. So right now he's not on the roster, but if he wants to show up – now, again, with the quarantine measures in place – Got to do it now. You got to go now. It'll probably have to be before, you know, early July when the teams actually start showing up in Columbus. But to answer your question more concisely, there is a lot of flexibility with rosters that that typically goes until right up until the tournament actually begins. Did I see it? I think I saw it when I was was looking at the rosters a couple weeks ago. The kid from the the, the school – I'm drawing a blank. The school last year, the kid was electric from three. The first round he had like 31 – I'm drawing a Maggie, Fletcher McGee. Did I see Fletcher, Fletcher McGee? And he is back. Yes, let's go. Fletcher he is back. McGee. He, yeah, he's he's playing for I, he's playing for a, a War Tampa team that is um, not strictly speaking a. Uh, it sounds like War Eagles, so you might think there's an Auburn that's an Auburn alumni team. They do have Auburn ties. There are a lot of Auburn alums on that roster, but they're not strictly speaking, an Auburn alumni team. But but he is back, NCAA's all-time leader in threes. And, oh, and so that War Tampa team, they're the 17 seed. I would definitely put them as, as a dark horse team, too, uh, a team that could certainly make some noise beyond just the first round. How, how excited are you to say, Fletcher McGee, unbelievable. Like they, they were going nuts for this guy, and then they, they deed him up in the second round. But between him, if I don't know if Connor Frantkamp's in this. If, if he's not, he should be. Connor Frankamp would be an electric for this. I ha- I haven't heard his name uh, come up on any rosters, but again, there's still time. He could be he could be a late addition, yes. especially now that the bracket is out. There were a lot of teams, remember, that were formed, yeah. and ready to play in this thing that don't have a seat at the table. So there is sort of a free agency period going on right now, where you're looking at teams that got in the field, trying to to purloin guys from teams that didn't get in and, and round out their rosters that way. Are there any of the guys that are playing overseas that I, I'm not, I haven't heard that many of the overseas basketball leagues are going, but maybe the schedules do conflict or are most of these guys free to have free time. And, and that's kind of the, been the beauty of where TBT traditionally falls. There's no conflict with oh, good. the overseas schedule. Now, sometimes I should say sometimes there have been some conflicts with, with China uh, the, the, the Chinese basketball league, there have been some, I guess, close calls where guys have sometimes flown directly from China to the tournament location. Yeah. But for Europe, it, it seems like most all schedule conflicts or potential schedule conflicts are avoided and okay. guys who play overseas are home in their off season anyway. And so this is a good opportunity to, to stay fresh and then again, be seen by an American audience again. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I'm watching every game. So for people that are trying to find it, uh, schedule, when does this tournament go from again, and then how can they watch it? The tournament goes from July 4th through the 14th, and it's going to be as easy to watch as ever. All the games will be on the ESPN family of networks. The vast majority will be on ESPN and ESPN2. There might be a few games that are streamed on the digital platform, oh, cool. but we're talking you know, 20-plus games of the tournament will be on ESPN or ESPN2. So it'll be a lot, very exciting. The first game on July 4th tips off at 3 o'clock Eastern Perfect. time. So those early days in particular, there will be a ton of games, and they'll be going on all afternoon and into the evening on most people's holiday weekend. 
You can wash it before your barbecue. You're good to go. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, exactly. That's, that's awesome. Well, this has been awesome. So for people that don't already follow you, how can they find you on social media? Well, thanks for giving me the chance to plug. Uh, I'm, I'm the same on, on Twitter and Instagram at CJ Vosters, V-O-S-T-E-R-S. So uh, give me a follow, reach out, connect, would love to do so. And especially right now with, with TBT in full swing, uh, let's, let's uh, talk some hoops. Absolutely. So catch, catch Chris, catch Mike Dom, Joe Johnson, uh, Matt Mooney, everybody. TBT, July 4th of the 14th, ESPN's Family Networks going to be on some ESPN digital there's nothing else on you get live basketball we haven't had live basketball in three months it's going to be awesome I can't wait me neither I, I'm, I'm really excited and again it's kind of an appetizer to the NBA season coming back I, I think this will get a lot of people back into a, a sports groove again and I think we'll all benefit from it yeah I can only watch so many law and order <laughs> yeah but this has been awesome thank you so much really appreciate it I'm glad you're you bet Zach good to see you and, and we'll talk soon